I'd like to begin this morning with the sacred spiritual practice of trying to raise the monk. Wish me luck. It was easier than I expected. Isn't it nice when things actually work? Yeah. Good morning. First parish in Brooklyn, what a joy to be with you on this fine summer Sunday. Uh, it was such a pleasure to meet your community uh, about three months ago, when I, four months ago rather, when I preached back here in March. Thank you for having me back. Uh, I'm also happy to see that since then we've been blessed by the triumphant return of coffee hour, a crucial part of any new year worship service, some would say the most important. Uh, so I look forward to seeing you there. Uh, in addition to the poetry of Virgil, which Nancy just read so wonderfully, I'd like to read one more time from our call to worship, 1 Corinthians 12.4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same God. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one of us, that manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Both of these texts have a message for us about community and cooperation. Just as honeybees, individually so tiny and alive for no more than 60 days, can together form a great nation that endures through the ages. So the scripture tells us that all people, each one of us, possess some inherent divine gift that we can contribute to the good of all. Now, you might reasonably ask, uh, hey man, what's the deal with human bees? Why are you giving us a sermon about bees? Why are you subjecting us to Reverend Ethan's entomology hour? Uh, it's a fair question. I first want to say that I am not, nor have I ever been, on the payroll of big honey. <laughs> no, nor, uh, despite the libelous rumors of my critics and detractors, am I 10,000 bees in a human suit. I'm sorry for that horrifying image. Nor is my reason that bees are fascinating, though they are. Rather, it's that I think they have spiritual lessons for us humans. Friends, I believe there is a sacred wisdom and even a gospel message to be found in the lives of honeybees. Their brains are not large. They're about two cubic millimeters. But they pack a lot into that tiny speck. And in some ways, despite our big, hulking brains that we think are so impressive, we might even be able to take some cues from them. So as we move through the heart of summer, let's talk about those industrious black and yellow bugs that do so much to make our world more bountiful. Our Seventh Unitarian Universalist principle teaches us that we are connected in the interdependent web of all existence. Honeybees demonstrate what's possible when we lean into that interdependence, when we embrace how connected we are. My central thesis is that honeybees can teach us about cooperation and community, how to thrive in coexistence with each other as well as with other species. And what's more, that the lessons of the honeybee can help us to build not just a better society, but one that is sweeter kinder, more joyful, more connected. I structured this sermon uh, pretty simply. In the first part, I'm going to talk about bees. In the second, I'm going to talk about humans. Let's look first at how honeybees cooperate and organize. A typical hive has many different roles. As 
sophisticated division of labor. Some bees build the hive, some protect it from invaders, some care for the young, some fan the hive with their wings to keep it cool, like little fans. Some bees go scouting for food, and when they find it, they fly back and they perform an elaborate waggle dance. That's what it's called, a waggle dance, where they, they shake their butts in a, in a certain pattern to tell other bees where the food is and how far away it is. As humans, of course, uh, we also need to divide our labor. The lamentable difference is uh, we don't care for every member of our community as generously as bees. There are, for example, around 17 million children suffering from hunger in America. Friends, when it comes to meeting the basic needs of our fellow citizens, we are being outdone by highly social animals, from bees to termites, even to certain uh, species of shrimp. Outdone by shrimp. It's humiliating. <laughs> shrimp barely have a nervous system. They have like five nerves in their whole body. Bees aren't just good citizens to each other. They help the rest of us as well. Around one-third of all food eaten by Americans is pollinated by honeybees. If you enjoy apples, melons, almonds, broccoli, the cotton that makes your clothes, you have a bee to thank. Bees teach us that not only do members of the same species need each other to thrive, we need other species to thrive as well. The interconnected web is more connected than we can even imagine. Humans, meanwhile, are busy uh, harming bee populations with pesticides and habitat destruction. We have every reason to work to protect bees. We rely on them just as much as we rely on rain and on sunlight. Bees have this rare level of cooperation, truly rare. Scientists categorize bees as, as EU social, as EU social, which means they have some of the most advanced social organization of any species. Eusocial animals divide labor, they live together in overlapping generations, and they even care for the young of individuals they're not related to. Believe it or not, bees even engage in a form of democracy. They perform their, their waggle dances in large numbers to make group decisions, like where to place a new hive or where to forage for food. Bees literally dance their way to group consensus. I think I can safely speak for all Americans when I say that this method of debate should be permanently established for both houses of Congress. <laughs> the only way you can make C-SPAN interesting is if Chuck Schumer had to bust out some funky moves to get a bill passed. The network would, of course, be renamed B-SPAN. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I want you to know there's a version of this sermon where I just torture you with non-stop bee puns until you walk out of disgust. I've been very restrained thus far. <laughs> but you know, in any case, I, I do hope that this sermon uh, gets you buzzing. It's a bad one. <laughs> Anyways, uh, you social species will even sacrifice for each other. Re reducing their own reproductive potential as individuals to increase the reproductive potential of the group 
and this high level of cooperation, while rare, tends to be wildly effective. Biologist E. O. Wilson observes that while eusocial animals like bees and ants make up only 2% of all the insect species, they make up two-thirds of all the biomass of insects around the world. Simply put, eusocial species do really well. They're better at fighting off predators and parasites, better at finding enough food for everyone. The crucible and challenge of natural selection shows us that sacrifice and cooperation for the common good is a rock-solid strategy. So I sketched out this image of bee society, this intrepid, resilient species that soldiers on, as Virgil put it, deathless, in spite of time's attacks. And now, for comparison's sake, let's take a moment to talk humans. Let's focus on human state of life of the American variety, and I'd like to begin with a brief thought experiment. Imagine, if you will, that you are taking the red line around Boston's runs and runs. You are in full train, standing room only, surrounded by strangers, packed in like bees in a hive. And it's been a hot July day, so everyone is a little bit sweaty. Try to imagine this. Everyone is packed in. You're in that space. Imagine those people. On a deep, instinctive level, how does this mass of strangers make you feel? Do you feel affection towards them or curiosity? Do you feel annoyance or fear? What connection do you have with them? And what do you feel like you owe each other as people bumping elbows on a train car? Is it mere politeness, simple toleration of each other's existence, or something more? I think this question of how we relate spiritually to strangers is so important. In large part, your answer may depend on your mood that day. Uh, some mornings when I'm taking the train to work, everything and everyone annoys me. <laughs> I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm late, I am in misanthrope mode. I think, oh my god, who are these people on my train? <laughs> Who's that guy in a suit? I bet he has a huge ego, he's probably a dumb jerk. Why did that lady have to bring her bike? Oh, she just backed it over my foot. You know, I get into this sort of rhapsody of crankiness, if you will. But on my better days, my more spiritually grounded days, I look around that train at those strangers, and I feel something like love for those people I've never met. I think, look at that woman playing with her baby. Look at them laugh. Maybe that's what me and my mom used to look like. Or how about that young man over there, gazing out the window with those bright and soulful eyes? I bet he'd be so interesting to talk to. I feel this warm, energizing force within me that I can only describe as civic joy. What do I mean by that term? I guess I mean a sense of connection, gratitude, even wonder. To feel civic joy is to recognize the independence we share with every single person we encounter. It is to know that we are small, but we are part of something great. To feel civic joy is to with affection for even those we've never met, to care for others without any precondition, and know that we are cared for as well. 
It's to feel that we are bees of the same hive. That though we are so different, we are filled with the same divine spirit for the sake of the same common good. In the words of the philosopher Baruch Spinoza, speaking to our fundamental interdependence, to man there is nothing more useful than man. Much has been said and written about the ongoing epidemic excuse me, of American loneliness, especially since COVID. If, uh, like me, in the past several years you have felt lonely at various times, you are ironically not alone in that. One survey found that 27% of millennials say they have no close friends. It can seem that we are a painfully atomized people. That we make an idol of individualism. That we've got to the point where we are cut off from those around us. In the words of Margaret Thatcher, one of the great architects of neoliberal economics, there is no such thing as a society. There are individuals and there are families. Her words offer an anti-communal vision of community. One where any person in your train car who isn't a close friend or a family member is a competitor. I see this sort of anti-community as not just destructive, but spiritually destitute. Our economic and political culture of every man for themselves, which has led to historic inequality, which has led to declining quality of life for all but the most wealthy and most privileged, is an aberration, a monstrosity of the marketplace. We can still choose today and every day to turn to civic joy, to insist that we do have a society, a community that, however imperfect and struggling to be born, is beloved. That we are willing to sacrifice for the willing for the well-being of someone we have never met. And how good would it feel to be on that train car surrounded by strangers and know that they would sacrifice for you and that you would do the same for them? That you would care for each other if push came to shove. Tell me you don't want that. And that it doesn't speak to some yearning in your spirit to care and be cared for. Like the social animals we are. What I dream of, friends, is not a hive. Not to live in a hive. But simply a society where every person is accountable to every other person. Where we embrace the sacred, the dictum of the great Fanny Lou Hamer. That nobody's free until everybody is free. Where it is understood that my thriving is bound up in yours and yours in mine. Working in a hospital, I have a front row seat to the consequences of society where we too often don't believe that. Where we fail to meet the basic needs of our fellow citizens. Where we fail to guarantee housing or health care, even adequate nutrition to our neighbors. The result is people who are unhoused, passing away from extreme weather, or people with mental illness going untreated for years because they don't have insurance. The general theme is people suffering for the sin of not having enough money. And when I sit and talk with these patients, one thing I think is how easily that could be me, or any of my loved ones, or my friends. In an anti-communal community, 
any one of us or anyone we care for could slip and fall. And I would hope that we can catch each other when we do. So perhaps you can understand why I've been thinking about cooperation and the common good. Friends, honeybees are obviously very different from humans. They're small, they're simple, we're big, we're complicated. Folks, it's not a perfect analogy. The search for the perfect analogy continues. But what there is in that analogy, folks, is uh, resonance, a spiritual resonance. I'm not saying that we should have a queen, that we should live in a hive, that we should work nonstop until the day we die, gathering honey. But all of these same principles that we share, these principles of cooperation and independence, are the same. And for that reason, these bring me a sense of hope, a gospel message, reminding me that the power and the possibility of community is inscribed in nature. It's like nature is trying to teach us something about how we can live with each other, how to care for each other. And perhaps the spirit of the common good that animates the hive could flourish in our communities as well. Friends, I'd like to leave you today with a little bit of spiritual homework. It's simply this. The next time you're on the train, surrounded by strangers of various shapes, sizes, and odors, look around, take it all in, and do your best to just try and love those people. If it feels weird or it doesn't work, it's fine. Some days it's not going to happen. But do your best to try, and if you feel inclined, keep trying the next day and the next. You can think of them even as your fellow honeybees, each one of us doing our small but crucial part to make the world sweeter.